Well, good morning. It's good to be with you guys today. Um, we've, uh, if, if you haven't been around with us the uh, last couple weeks, we started a new series in January called True and Better. And we are, what we're doing through this series is that we are going through um, the story of God as it leads up to Jesus. <clears throat> and we are looking at 13 different men and women throughout that time period that kind of point the way to Jesus as the true and better version of everyone who came before. And, uh, and part of the reason that we chose to do this series is because uh, we really want to encourage our family uh, in general uh, in, in their in our kind of understanding of God's story, in our uh, passion for God's Word, and um, just to kind of see that as the grand narrative by which we live our lives. And the truth is, you, you can't do that just by listening to us up here on a Sunday. Um, you actually have to get into the story yourself and, and understand what it's uh, communicating and, and what it's saying to you. And so um, I had asked, this is my friend Andy, you guys know Andy, right? And uh, so back in December when we were planning out the series, um, I, had, I had approached Andy because Andy and his wife Amy uh, had been in our uh, Cultivate Community group. And one of the things that was really on Andy's heart last year around this time was to start to get into God's Word and, and to make a commitment towards reading it himself and understanding it. And, um, and so last year was kind of a journey. And it, he and I would talk throughout the year, and we'd kind of compare notes, and, hey, what are you reading now? And he would tell me where he was. And, and so um, in December, he, he shared a little bit more with me, and I thought, man, what a great opportunity to have Andy kind of share what he's learned and, uh, and just a couple things that, that have gone on through the year as he's uh, been in the Bible a little bit more um, as an encouragement to all of us uh, to, to kind of do the same thing. So thanks for coming up and doing this. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm going to ask you a couple questions, which we talked about. But wh- what was it that kind of, why did you want to get started with this? What was your motivation in the beginning to get into your Bible, start reading the story for yourself? Well, firstly, what um, stopped me from reading the Bible at the beginning was fear. Um, and firstly, perfect love casts out all fear. And fear played a big part why I couldn't read the Bible because it seemed in the past that when I opened the Bible and started to read, I seemed to read all the, what's the word I'm looking for, all the judgment parts of the Bible. So it put the, the fear of everything inside me and stop me from reading yeah yeah so so how did you what what was what caused you to want to overcome that fear to actually open it and start to read i felt god give me a a slight nudge in the the side of the ribs to say and whisper to me try again so I had to trust and obey and fly. And since I underwent brain surgery for Tourette's, I thought this was a good opportunity to, tr- to retry and trust in him and see what I could do. Mm. And since the ticks were no longer there or much calmer, I was able to to sit still, which I've never been able to do before, because before surgery, I couldn't sit still enough or concentrate to be able to read a book, any book. So for the, so for the first time ever, I was able to sit quietly and read, which I was able to do at last. <laughs> so every time I, I, you know, we got together and we kind of share what you were reading and what you were learning, you always seem to be more excited about it. Every time I talked to you, it's like, you know, and then I read this, and it was almost like you couldn't believe that you were still at it. Right? I mean, like you're like, 
you won't believe it, but I'm still reading. Like, I'm, st I'm still going forward. Yes, um, um, I'm excited about what I'm reading. And when I do my daily readings, I almost, like, can't wait to read the next day's reading to see what happens next. <laughs> so let me ask Andy, what are some of the things that you've learned as you took this journey this year? I've learned um, God's given me the big picture, not just the, what I call the, the gory parts, because you can't just read the gory parts. You have to read the whole, the whole book to get the, the big picture of his story. That's the, the big part that you've got you've to overcome. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, you'd mentioned to me there's one verse in particular that has kind of stood out to you this year as you've been reading. Do you want to read that? Um, firstly, I must state that um, one verse, which is 2 Corinthians, firstly I must add, Paul, Paul asked the Lord, to remove the thorn in his flesh three times and the Lord replies my, my, my grace is sufficient for thee now if you know me I have my thorn in my flesh which is Tourette syndrome now in the past if you know me I've asked the Lord hundreds and hundreds of times to remove the Tourette's or my thorn in my flesh. And just as Paul, the Lord replies to me, my grace is sufficient for thee. Now, I'm gonna read 2 Corinthians to you as a reminder. It says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight, for Christ, oh, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in Hang on. Very good. In persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, for me, with Tourette's, even before surgery, the Tourette's was very severe, one of the most severe known out there. I, I wouldn't say I delighted in having Tourette's, but... I felt God's power, God's strength in such diversity of Tourette's on a daily basis. Yeah. So you, and you're continuing this year, right? So you, you, one of the things that you had shared to me is like, you don't feel like you're done. Like you, and I've read, you know, portions of the story. I'm good to go. Thanks God for my little boost in the arm. Yeah. I'll take it from here. But you, you've, I'm One reading. of the things that you said to me in December was... I'm rereading I'm re the Bible again yeah. <clears throat> this year. I'm starting over because I know that God will re... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, point, Repoint out things that I missed the first time around. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. And I must add... In the year that I read, hang on, <clears throat> in the year that I read my Bible, my, my Tourette symptoms have decreased again to a 90% reduction. Hmm. So before I was reading, my tics were reduced by 80 to 90%, 80, 60 to 80%. Now they're reduced by 90%. So, I believe there's healing in the word. Yeah. Cool. Thanks so much for sharing your story. Thank you. Give me a hand.
So just some encouragement there. Um, also, if you're kind of wondering where to get started yourself, you think, you know, I want to I wanna have a similar story to Andy's. Uh, you know, I've been thinking about it for a while, but I just never, you know, cracked it open, or I don't know where to begin, or I, I don't, it just seems, the task seems daunting and overwhelming to me. Um, there's a resource that we recommend to you uh, called The Bible Project that is absolutely phenomenal. And um, it, it, you can download it in PDF form if you, want to, if you have a physical Bible that you want to tuck that into. And it gives you a reading plan to go through and you just kind of check the boxes as you, as you go. Um, and there's also these excellent, excellent videos on absolutely every book of the Bible that gives you the big picture. And so sometimes it's easy to get lost in the weeds a little bit and, and to miss what's actually going on. And, and this helps you to step back a little bit so that you actually understand what's happening before you dive in and read it for yourself. And you can always go back and kind of refresh yourself on each of those things before you go in. Um, if you have a, a smartphone, which you know, I know many of us do, um, there's, a great, there's an app that goes along with, it was developed by the Bible Project called Read Scripture. And it's available on Apple and Android. And that actually goes through the reading plan for you and then gives you the videos at the time when you're supposed to read them. And so if you're more the person and you want to read it in your commute, on your phone, um, and go that route, that's a great way to do it. So I just wanted to give you those resources so that you could dive into, especially since we're going through the, the story uh, as we go. So it'd be great for you to track along with us and, and read uh, as we uh, teach through it. So... Uh, if you want to talk to me more about that afterwards, please uh, come and, and mention it, okay? All right, so last week, if you remember, we talked about a man named Noah and his family. We'll, we'll talk about him a little bit more as we go along. Um, but, but today, we're going to talk about one of Noah's descendants, and uh, it, we'll talk about the, kind of the space in between those things, but it's a man named Abraham, very famous man that... Uh, most of the people on the planet know about Abraham. That's how famous he is. I mean, one of the most famous individuals to have ever lived. So we're going to read just the beginning part of his story. It's going to appear in Genesis, starting in, in uh, chapter 11, verse 27. We're going to go into chapter 12. It's on page 8 of uh, the Bibles that we have here. Don't you, uh, we're like at light speed, aren't we? We started on page 1. We went to page four, and now we're on page eight. By Easter, supposedly, we're going to be at Jesus. So, um, Easter 2019. So, I didn't mention that before, but I'm just kidding. We're, we'll pick it up, pick up the pace as we go. But this is Abraham's story. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she had not able to conceive. Terah looked, took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, uh, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. And so Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree in Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. 
And so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. So you get this picture of the story of, of Abram. He, he begins in the land of his birth, the land where all of his relatives were, everything that was comfortable to him. And he goes and he sets out for this new place called Canaan. And God gives him a promise that he will be the father of many nations. And if you know anything about Abraham, uh, Abram who becomes Abraham, Abram means father, Abraham just means father of many. Did, did God fulfill that promise as far as we know? today yeah absolutely right because there are at least three major faiths in over half of the world's population that look to abraham as their father in the faith that's pretty amazing right i mean it it would be like four billion people at least consider themselves children of abraham in some way and so here's the thing that we have to understand about abraham is that he, he became great not because he was great, but because he received something great. I'm going to repeat that. He became great not because he was this great and awesome man, but because he received something great. And, and it shows us a little bit about what it means to be a believer in Jesus, what it means to follow God, what it means to be a Christian, is not to be a great person, but to receive something great. Uh, and, and what we receive is actually the same thing that Abraham received, which is we receive the voice of God. We receive his call. We receive his, his, his activity come into our life in a new way. And that calling, that, 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 that shaping actually informs and changes our entire life. So, we're, we're going to look at his story. Now, why did I begin in, in chapter 11 and not in chapter 12? Have you ever read through Abraham's story? It always seems like you start in chapter 12, right, with the call. I mean, that's the big piece, right? And it opens, and, and actually the story isn't about Abram at all. It's about Terah. And, and one of the things it's communicating is that no one's, no one's story is really about them. It's really about the God who is at work in their story, right? And sometimes we can get that backwards. But the other thing that we have to understand is that the reason we started with Abram's father and not with him himself is because it actually shows us something that we need to see, which is by this point in God's story, after going from Adam to Noah to Abraham, the story of humanity itself and God's activity with them looks like it's coming to an end. It looks as though... Abraham's story doesn't actually begin with hope. It begins with despair. It begins with hopelessness. It, it begins with, with actually saying God is nowhere to be found rather than God is present. Now, why do I say that? Well, what's, what's been the story so far? If you remember, it started with humanity being born and made into God's image to represent him to the world. And the very first parents of this new race called Adam and Eve decided that they didn't want to be image bearers of God. They didn't want to represent God. They wanted to be God. They wanted to replace him. And so they rebelled against God. And and the, the decision that they made ended up resulting in generation after generation of their descendants becoming worse and worse and worse, until there's violence and oppression and brokenness absolutely everywhere in the world, right? But what happens then? What's the, what's the change in the story that we talked about last week? In the midst of that violence, in the midst of that hopelessness, what happens? What does God do? Do you remember? Was anybody here last week? Okay. What did God do in the midst of that? He started over. Through who? A family and a man named Noah. And so the the humanity got a fresh start, got a new beginning, remember? But one of the things that we said is that Noah and his son, sons come through that experience, and even though they're saved 
through the flood, they actually aren't changed through it. Because at the end of Noah's story, Noah goes to one of his sons. He's, he's talking about the future of his kids and he's pronouncing blessings and curses over them. He's come through that experience. And Noah says this about one of his three sons, a son named Shem. He says in Genesis 9.26, he said, Praise be the Lord, the God of Shem. The God of Shem. And what it's kind of a, an ancient Hebrew way of saying that through this experience, the God who saved us through this flood is going to be the God of my son Shem. Shem, and, and if you look through that story and that narrative in Genesis 9, you realize that Shem is the only one of Noah's sons that he says this about, which means that Shem's, Shem and his kids, his, his grandkids and his great-grandkids and all the descendants past him, they are going to be the ones who the knowledge of who God is and what he's done to preserve and save them is going to be passed down through Shem's family. They are the family of promise, in other words. They are to be the guardians of this knowledge for generations to come. When someone comes around their family, the thing that you should know, like that, that you should get when you're around Shem's family and his kids, is that what God has done is absolutely unmistakable. They're like, let me tell you about how, like the reason that we, we're all still alive. The reason that we're on this planet is because God saved us through a flood. Did you know that? They're, the, they're supposed to be the communicators of this great good news to all the earth. So what should be true about Terah if Terah, we find out, is actually one of Shem's descendants? Terah is in Shem's family. What should be true about Terah? What kind of man should he be? Godly. What else? Yeah, he shares the good news. What else? There should be hope, right? I mean, they should be the kind of family that if you're feeling down, if you're feeling despair, if you're feeling hopelessness, you go to Tara's family to get picked back up again and sent back out into the world. Now, now here's the thing. Is that the kind of reality that we see in this man, Tara, and his family? Uh, you probably can't pick up on this, but the name Terra means moon. You think, well, that's kind of a nice name, right? I mean, kids name their kids all kinds of crazy things today. Maybe moon is a great name. Well, the thing is, Terra's name is moon, and he also comes from Ur of the Chaldeans. That's the place of his birth, which was actually the center of lunar worship. Which means that the last and only family that should have worshipped the God who made the heavens and the earth themselves has now turned away from that God to worship the moon that he created. Do you see what's going on here? Now you think, okay, Jay, that's, like, that's a stretch. I mean, you're really pushing the words there. We'll look later in the story in Joshua 24. 600 years later, this is what Joshua says about the the, the time of Abraham. Joshua said to all the people of Israel, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, long ago your ancestors, including who? Terah. The father of Abraham and Nahor lived beyond the Euphrates River and did what? They worshipped other gods. They were idolaters. They had turned away. They had turned their backs on the good news, the true story, the God of all creation. But I... This is what God says, I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates. See, I, if you're picking up on this, this, this means that the, the last candle of hope, the last bastion where the knowledge of God was supposed to be preserved has now been wiped out. The last place that anyone knows what God has done is now gone. And now add to the fact that, that even physically, Sarai, who's the, now the, the matron of this, new, of this family continuing, what's true of her? She's barren. So they're both spiritually dead and physically dead. 
I mean, it looks as though there's absolutely no way forward for either Abraham's family or the human race to be restored back to God. Do you see how hopeless things look at this point in the story? Do you think, see how bad things are? I mean, hopelessness is the only word that comes to mind for me. I don't know, maybe your story at this point, and you're kind of thinking the same thing. Maybe you've been here. Maybe you are here. Maybe you're thinking, there is no hope. The last light has flickered out. I don't see a way forward physically. I don't see a way forward spiritually. God is absent from my story. There is no hope. There is no way. And yet, Genesis 12 verse 1 says, into the darkness comes light. Into the void, God speaks. Into barrenness, God creates a new family. See, if you're picking up on this, you learn actually through this that that not only does God bring hope in the midst of hopelessness, but you can be part of the best family on earth and still need his hope. Right? I mean, think of the promise of... I mean, Noah looks at his three sons and he goes, this one, this is the best, this is the one that God is going to bless and going to make a great people out of and he's going to do great things. And then later on in the story, you figure out that the, even the best of Noah's kids got it wrong. Even the best of his family was spiritually dead and in need of God to come in and save it and speak new, new life and intervene into his story, which means that you can be part of the best family on earth and still be spiritually dead and in need of God to come in and save you. I think about this when I think about my own sons. I think about their stories, and I think, you know, they're, they're, they're part of our family, and we try to do our best to talk about Jesus and to, to lead them to him and to read their Bibles and do all these things and influence them in all these ways. And then in addition to that, they're part of this incredible spiritual family that I'm so proud of and, and wouldn't want my kids to grow up in any other environment with any other group of people on the face of the planet that, that could love them and demonstrate what the grace of God looks like to them. I'm, I, I couldn't picture a better environment for them. And yet, if they, don't, if they don't hear the voice of God themselves, if they don't receive him spiritually, if he doesn't come in and convict them of their sins, humble them in their time of need, lead them into a relationship with Jesus as Lord, then they're just as hopeless as Abraham. They're just as hopeless as the rest of them. See, it doesn't matter how good your family is. It doesn't matter how nice your family is. Absolutely everyone will, over time, apart from God's intervention, end up worshiping and valuing something else other than the Creator that they were made to be in relationship with. You and I will exchange the worship of the true God for the worship of false gods like the moon. And you think, like, that's crazy. Who would look at the moon and go, yeah, like, that created everything. I'm going to put all my hope in the moon. Yeah, you and I wouldn't do that. But we would put all of our hope in our jobs. And we would put all of our hope in our kids. And we would put all of our hope in our parents. And we would put all of our hope in our friends. We would put all of our hope in our status. We would put all of our hope in our financial security. And you will worship and serve something else if it's not the God of the universe. It was true for Abraham's story. It's true for yours. But the good news is that, I mean, you might be saying, okay, like, well, it it sounds like they, you know, what you need is good influence around you. What you need is good people around you. I didn't have that kind of influence. I didn't have that kind of family growing up. I didn't have spiritual mentors that could kind of come alongside of me and and help me along the way. I didn't have the advantages that other people seemed to have. I, I, I was less advantaged than that. Well, don't you see? I mean, if Abraham's family needed saving and it was the very best and God gave them salvation... Doesn't that show you that it's available to absolutely everyone regardless of where you've come from? 
I mean, doesn't, doesn't that open the floodgates that if it's true that Abraham needed it and got it in his time of need, that it's available to you too? I don't know if you realize this, but we have a God who's in the business of resurrecting dead things and transforming family trees. I don't care if you got the best family tree in the world. It needs him. And I don't care if you have the worst family tree in the world. It's available to him. You might go, well, yeah, I know, but it's been generation after generation after generation of just brokenness and and hardship and, and people fighting against one another and fighting against God. Yeah, it was true for Abraham too. It was true of his family line. And God intervened and made a new way. Can you believe that? See, but not only did God, Abraham need God to burst into his life, the other thing is he didn't do absolutely anything to deserve him bursting into his life. I mean, how, how many great things had Abraham accomplished at this point in his journey? We just got introduced to him, right? I mean, unless there's something that's been left out of the story, it's not like, wow, Abraham has 75 great years of demonstrating faith and, and, and wonderful following of God. He didn't even know God existed before God called him and made him new. He has no track record to base his life on. And yet God comes into his life and God chooses Abraham, not because of his credentials, but because of God's grace. You know, I was thinking about this the other day because um, Mandy and I you know, were going through a process with fostering and, and adopting. And I, was, I happened to look on a bunch of websites that have a lot of information about adoption. A lot of those in websites that have information about adoption have listings of kids on them that you can go through and, and hear their story. And, and if you so choose, you can reach out to an agency and get to know those kids. I have yet to find one adoption agency that has a listing of potential adoptive parents. Do you know that? I've looked. Google's really powerful. I've never found one. I've never seen a website where kids can go on to a website and look through adoptive parents and go, wow, that one makes $75,000 a year. (laughs) That one lives in the suburbs. This one has two other kids and they're both boys and I'm a boy. Hey, I'd love to be part of that family. They don't get to choose. Who does the choosing? The parents do the choosing. See, the... The kids don't ever have the opportunity to go, well, if I live a really good life and choose really good parents, then I'm going to turn out okay. No, the the process of adoption by nature is an act of grace. It's an act of, of two people or sometimes one person going into the life of a child and saying, I choose you. Not because of what you've done, but because of what I will make you. Come into my home. Come into my family. Come into my environment and watch what it will do to you. And that's exactly what God does to Abraham. And that's exactly what he will do to you. The gospel says that that it is necessary for you to receive him, to hear from him, to, to have him burst into your life regardless of how good a person you've been. No one escapes his intervention. No, nobody escapes the need for his intervention. And at the same time, no one... Can, can live a good life to earn that intervention at the same time. You need to know that there's hope. There's hope for every man and woman on the planet. And there's hope that comes because of God's grace. His great desire to save us. His great desire to come in and make us new. Now you need to know this though that to say yes to that calling, to say yes to following him, to say yes to his voice, to say yes to the hope that he comes in to bring means that you need to do something radical. At least radical to our minds. Because saying yes to God is saying yes to uncomfortableness. Uh, The proof of that is is in the calling that that Abraham receives in Genesis 12. The Lord says to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household 
to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. And you think, that sounds like a great calling, doesn't it? I mean, I'm going to go into this new land and there's going to be blessing and it's going to go well for me. And man, all these wonderful things. Who would say no to that? Right, that's what I would be thinking. See, our our NIV says, go from your country. But the Hebrew actually doubles that and says, go yourself. You yourself, get out. Now, why, why would God double that to make it stronger it's because if you look back we, this is why we included genesis 11 terah took his son abram and together they set out to go to canaan there as a family unit everyone together in safety and comfort hey we're all going together we're all going to get there don't you worry it's going to go well for all of us but what happens when they came to haran what what did they do they settled there. And Terah lived 205 years. 205 years to, to, to say, you know what, I'm, I'm not settling. And yet he never makes that decision and he dies in Haran. Why did they stop? They didn't want to go any further. They had been called to go to Canaan, but they stopped in Haran. And that's why God doesn't just say to Abraham, hey, Go. He says, you go. You yourself go. You leave not just your homeland. Leave your family. Now, why? let me ask you this. Why do you think this might be a difficult thing to say yes to for Abram? Everything that he's got, right? It's not like he can look around at his 12 sons and go, yeah, we'll be all right i got enough labor to make sure the donkeys are fed and that we're on the right track. I mean, it's him and Sarai and Lot and his wife. That's it. And the, the things that they've accumulated in their time. And imagine looking at your dad and going, he's had a pretty good life. Why would I walk away from that? Why would I say no to that? I mean, I... Maybe my, what my dad has accomplished is everything I've ever aspired to be. And now God's calling me to something I have no experience in, and I'm going to say no to the thing that I've already had as an assurance that I can follow in my dad's footsteps. Yeah. Yeah, the only, I mean, imagine saying to God, the only reason I've made it this far, God, is because I had all these people around me that have supported me this way. And now you're calling me to leave them behind? Who in the world am I going to depend on? And of course, you know the answer to that, right? Yeah. I mean, imagine hearing the voice of God and not knowing what that God has already done to prove himself faithful to you. Right? Does no, for all we know, does Abram know about the story of Noah? Not that we can gather. Or maybe he thinks it's some kind of fairy tale that's so distant in the past that how in the world could that shape and inform my life? And then he gets this call from a God that he's never known before and he has to put more faith in this God who is now completely new to him than absolutely everything that he's ever experienced before. Yeah, right. It's It's walking into the, not just the unknown, but loneliness potentially. The relationships that he's surrounded himself with his whole life now he's leaving behind what's that and there's a famine too yeah so it's not now it's not just walking away from his family it's walking into less a less secure land than the one he's come from yeah you read my notes last night didn't you (laughs) i'm just kidding dave that's a good insight yeah i mean he doesn't even show him where he's headed yeah Imagine the peer pressure that's on him at that point. You're going where? What are you going to do there? How are you going to support yourself? Who, who's going who's to care for kids if you have kids? Who, they're not going to know their aunts and uncles and their grandparents. 
Why in the world would you move out of, of this place from us? Are you rejecting me? Yeah, I remember when I, so shortly after I became a Christian, only about a year and a half later, I felt like God was calling me to raise my own support and be a missionary on the college campus instead of getting a good-paying job in Center City, Philadelphia. To me, I heard clearly what God was calling me to do. He affirmed it through Scripture, and he affirmed it through friends that said, yeah, this seems to be in line with, with what God has been doing already in your life. And I remember picking up the phone and trembling at the thought of calling my parents to tell them what I had decided to do. Yeah, I'm sorry, Mom and Dad. I know this, you know, this great education that you've already paid half for, and you, you sent me away from home to get this good job, to get established in a new city, to, to do, do everything possible. You've been saving up for years to give me this opportunity so that I would have security, so that I would have hope, so that I could have, have a place where I could then pass that on to my kids just as you passed it on to me. But I'm going to raise my own support and I'm going to live off less than $20,000 a year. And I'm going to need people to provide for me instead of me providing for them. How does that sound? I'm going to be asking a whole bunch of my friends and family members and people that I don't even know for money to support me to do something that makes absolutely no sense to you. Can you see why I was a little afraid? Feels a lot like Abraham, doesn't it? And yet I wouldn't be standing here today if God hadn't said that to me and if I hadn't said yes. This church would not exist today if he hadn't called me to it. There's a lot going on here in this story that, that's more than what we can see at first, but it does sound very much like our experience, doesn't it? So, I mean, imagine Abraham's having this conversation with God and going, you know what, God? I've come halfway. This is as far as my family wants to go with you. I, we talked it over, and I, I tried to be really convincing. You know, I said, hey, Canaan's got all of great stuff and there's probably an amusement park there and uh, there's all kinds of cool people there and there's great schools in Canaan and and uh, and they just didn't buy it and so I guess we'll settle here and God says to Abram if they won't come then you come to me yourself don't wait on them that's a dead end I have way more blessing for you there than you have for yourself here. Will you follow me? Will you trust me? Will you come to me? I don't know, maybe you've been around people that are only half-heartedly following God and you just settled for the status quo you, and you've kind of bargained with God and you said, well, you know, if it's, it's okay for them to sort of just be kind of like religious people that go to church on Sunday but they don't really live it the rest of their life. And I don't know, being part of a cultivate community seems a little wacky to me. It seems a little out there. I don't, I don't really want people to know my whole story. And maybe it's okay for me just to be a churchgoer. And God says to you, go. I have more for you than a halfway life. I want your whole heart because I have a whole plan for your whole life and I can't enact that plan if you're going to half-heartedly follow me, which is really to follow me with nothing at all. Maybe you're in a family. and I'm talking to you young people in particular, those of you who are teenagers and just starting out your life, your students, and Jesus has been kind of part of the landscape, the environment of your family experience. You know, I mean, you pray before meals and there are verses written on walls and mom and dad are encouraging you with his word and trying to lead you to Jesus, trying to help you along the way. Have you heard him? Have you said yes to him? Have you considered his voice? Have you encountered God himself? Have you said yes in a personal way to commit to him, to follow him wherever he leads you? Wherever you might go. See, it's not enough for mom and dad to do it for you. He wants to bring you to places that are only for you. 
I mean, consider what he might do in you that he could do through you. You wouldn't be here this morning if he hadn't done that in my life. I mean, consider the people that could be blessed if he does that in yours. Right? See, but here's the thing that you need to know about saying yes to him, about following after him. And we see it right in 12 verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household, everything that's been familiar to you, to the land that I will show you. See, God says, leave everything that you know. Leave everything that you're comfortable with. Go to a place that I have yet to show you. You know, like he doesn't say leave everything because look at what's awaiting for you in the land that I've already given you. It's got tall trees and it's got rivers and it's, you know, like you want to live in this land. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't even tell him the exact location of where it is. He says absolutely nothing except I'll show you. See, and God's asking Abram, Abram, will you trust me? Will you trust me enough to to make a decision for you on your behalf between what is good and evil? Where have we heard that before? Will you give up your ability to decide if this is a good choice or a bad choice and simply trust me with the choice? Are you willing to do that, Abram? To know that I know best and that I will show you in my good timing. Can you trust me enough for that? So I don't, that's, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, right? That's what it means to entrust yourself to him. I mean, I remember when I first came to faith in Jesus at 21, I had all these questions about, to, to God about the kind of life that I'd be required to live after I came to faith in him. Like, am I going to be required to only date Christians? And then God brought Mandy along six months after I came to know him. Will I be required to tithe my money? And then I was basically poor for the first five years of, of being a Christian. I had no money to tithe at all, so he took care of that one. Well, I have to stop doing these certain things that I like to do, and will I have to start doing these other things that I don't really like to do? And the truth is, if you are saying to God, I will only follow you if you show me exactly where you're taking me, then you're not really following him. If you say to God, I will only follow you, I will only say yes to this calling, I will only give my heart over to you if you show me what you will do, then you're not following him. You're simply following what you think you'll get from him. You're still holding on to the controls of your life. You're still being like your first parents, Adam and Eve, trying to decide between what's good and evil and right and wrong. You're still on the throne. See, God does this to Abram his whole life, right? Abram's whole life is this process of God not showing him the plans that he has for him, right? It's got to be frustrating to be this guy. I mean, because it starts out like, hey, follow me to a new land. Where are we going? I'll show you later. Just trust me. I'll give you a son. And Abram says, how? And God says, I'll show you later. Just trust me. And then much later in Abram's story, God tells him, go to a mountain and put your son to death. And Abram says, why? And God says, I'll show you later. Just trust me and climb. See, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's It's what it means to be a Christian. It's not about God fitting into your plan, your agenda, your pre-existing political viewpoints or way of living. It's not him needing to explain himself or absolutely everything that he calls you to do. It's following him with your whole life regardless of where that takes you. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says this about Abram. It says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place... He would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though what? He did not know where he was going. That's what it means. 
to say yes. That's what it means to follow after him. See, unless you say to the Lord, for the rest of my life, whatever I, I hear as your will, I will do without condition, then you haven't followed him yet. So let, let me just ask, I mean, just consider with his help, maybe it's already present in the front of your mind and you're already considering it, but what's your if? What's, what are you holding back and saying, God, if you do this, then I will do this? What's it for you? Is it, if you give me financial security, I will say yes. If you give me health, if you give me children, if my children make it okay, if things don't get too difficult, as long as you support my viewpoint on fill in the blank, then I will say yes to you. Let me just encourage you to take the if out and take your hands off the wheel. Get yourself off the throne and see what he does. See, what happens when we do follow him? When we do hear his voice, when we do allow him to take control, when we do say yes, what does he lead us into? Verse 2 and 3 tell us, it says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. And why does God do that? So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. See, to follow Jesus means that you are so changed. You are so free. You're so, you're so in love with him and, and committed to him and, and, and see him for who he is that you no longer make your life decisions in order to make your life more comfortable for yourself. You no longer say, you know, what, what job will give me the most income and security? You no longer say, what neighborhood will make me the safest? You no longer say, what school district will just give me my kids the best opportunities for, for their future life? You no longer say, what church will give me the best spiritual experience? Because when you hear God's calling, when you hear his voice, and you say yes to it, you make a decision on this basis, you start to reorient the framework of your life so that you ask the question, where can I most be a blessing to others? Where should I be so that others can see him through me, through us? So it sounds a whole lot like what Jesus said in Luke 9, 24, for whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. See, in other words, if you seek your blessing, you'll be empty. If you look to fill yourself, you'll be empty. But if you bless others, I'll bless you. If you fill others up, I will fill you up. Now you think, think like, how, how can I do that? Like, where do I even begin with that? I would say, like Abraham, you need to follow the voice of God and get out of your country. Get out of what's comfortable. Start to, start to be suspicious of the cultural narrative that America has fed to you your whole life. Start to be suspicious of the American dream and go, maybe in fact it's a nightmare instead of a dream to live that way. Start to get out of your security zone and your comfort zone and what seems to be familiar to you. I, one, of the, one of the best ways that I... That Mandy and I have found to do this, and this has become <clears throat> a shaping influence on the way that we live our life. We didn't start out this way. It's not like, we had, like I had a light bulb like when we first got married 10 years ago that we should live this way, but it's, it's become a guiding principle for the way that we go about what we do in life. And we're not perfect at it, so don't, I'm not trying to, I think it's something that God gave to us as a revelation, and we often rebel against that revelation just like Abraham does, just like all of us do. But I, I believe it's from God, and so I want to maybe share it as a conviction that you can adopt into your own family. And, and that conviction or that way of seeing things is a challenge to the way that you pray. 
Um, I think far too many Christians pray with an assumption that the answer is no. And here's what I mean by that. You read your Bible, and it says to care for widows and orphans. And you go, I should probably pray about that because it's there in God's Word. It probably applies to me since He saved me. Let's pray about that. God, if you want us to take care of widows and orphans, please give us a reason. Now, what are you saying to God when you pray that way? You're assuming that the answer is no until he overturns your no and makes it a yes. Right? Does that make sense? God calls you to share your faith with the people that are around you. And you go, I will do that if you, if you make it abundantly clear in this moment that I should do it. Or someday. And we assume that the answer is no, not yet, not right now, not in this moment, not with that person, until the Spirit of God kind of wrestles the no out of our hands and puts a yes in our hands, right? What if every time you came to something in Scripture, and I've just encouraged you to read through your Bible this year, as, as we talked about before, what if every time you got to one of those passages, the assumption was yes, unless God overturns it to a no? What if every time it says, be hospitable to the stranger, open your home to those that are far from me, you say, it should be a yes, unless you give me reason for it to be a no. Unless you call me to something else. Now, I've already given the caveat that Mandy and I aren't good at this, okay? So I'm not telling you to be perfect at it. But what if that was your assumption in the way that you prayed? Do you think it would change the way that you live this year? And how so? If you assume that the answer was yes to being hospitable, if you assume the answer was yes to caring for widows and orphans and the stranger, if you assume that it was yes that you should love refugees like Jesus loved you? What if you assumed yes instead of no? You'd be called into a whole lot of stuff that's going to be really, really, really uncomfortable for you, right? And it is. I won't sugarcoat it. God will call you into things if you assume yes that are really uncomfortable for you. And everything that's within you will cry out, I don't want to say yes to this. And it could be terrifying and scary. And yet at the same time, the promise of God comes through the uncomfortable blessing to say, if you step out in faith, if you assume yes, if you follow me into the unknown, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to make your life a greater blessing than you could have ever anticipated, and I'm going to bless you in the process of doing it. Is that the kind of life that you would love to live? I mean, deep down in your soul, I, I think that it is. Because you're made in the image of God. Everything within you may want to rebel against that image and say no to it, but underneath all the rebellion, you're still made in His image. You still have the hallmarks of your Heavenly Father on you, which means deep down, underneath all the junk, underneath all the rebellion, deep down in your heart, you still want to say yes to everything that He says to you. You're just afraid to do it. Am I right? So how do you say yes? Well, just be like Abraham, right? And that's the message, isn't it? The man of faith. Just buck up, be a man of faith, go after it, get out, kill it, say yes to God, do all the stuff. Amen. Go ahead. Yeah, let me know how that goes. <laughs> right? My guess is, you, you may have a good day trying to do it on your own. You may ha even have a good week, and you could come up here next week and give a great report of how full of faith you were and how much you said yes to God and who was blessed through it. But I guarantee if that's your mode of, of operation and you came back week after week after week over time, instead of motivation, you would feel shame. Instead of, of saying, yeah, I'm, I continue to say yes, and it's going well. You'd go, 
it's not going so well, and I'm, I'm a little afraid to admit it. So how do you break it? How do you get a new engine? How do you get a new motivation to say yes, not just once, but over and over and over and over again? How do you resist the temptation to go back to a life that's safe and lived primarily for yourself? The answer is that you need to trust the same promise that Abraham trusted in. God had given Abraham several promises, but there was one really, really big promise that unlocked the rest of those promises that was the key to every other son, uh, every other one, and it was the promise of a son. He was going to be the father of a great nation to bless the people of the earth, but first he had to have a son, and absolutely everything hinged on the son, and yet his wife is barren, and he's old which means that the son of promise needed to be a miraculous gift that could only come from God. You want to live to change life? You want, you want, to, you want to be the kind of person that, that says yes to God continually? It comes through the grace of God and the promise of his son. Because God is saying to Abraham, you can't do anything for me except for live by faith in the son. And yeah, ultimately Abraham was given a son. His name was Isaac. But Matthew's gospel says that God gave Abraham a greater son. In fact, it begins this way in verse 1 of the very first chapter. It says, this is the genealogy. This is the line of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. See, Abraham left his house and his home, and everything that was familiar. But Jesus, Abraham's true son, left his house and his home. He left the ultimate security and safety of heaven and went out into the unknown of a broken world in order to create a new family and a new nation that would go on to bless the world. And guess what, family? That family is us. It's us. He didn't just leave his homeland. He was homeless. He, he didn't just leave his father's house. He was without a father. Most of his life, Joseph wasn't even around. And why did he do it? 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 tells us, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. We often think of rich as just having a lot of financial stuff. But the thing that that we crave in terms of having finances more than every other thing is the craving for security. And what Paul is saying here is that Jesus had the most secure life you could possibly imagine. I mean, imagine living your life in a place with no brokenness, surrounded by the triune God who gives you nothing but love every second of every day for all eternity. You can't get a safer environment. Not even a mother's womb is as safe as that. And Jesus said, I will give up my security. I will give up my safety. I will give up everything for them to make them secure, to give them a home, to give them a family. And see, if you realize that God has done that to you by, be, by Jesus answering the greater call, then you'll realize that once he puts his spirit in you, you'll be able to do what Abraham couldn't do. I mean, not even Abraham is Abraham by the end of the story. I mean, he, he sells his wife into a king's harem. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't win husband of the year if I lied and said that my wife was my sister and sold her into a king's, you know, court to, to, to give herself away to the king just to save my own neck, right? That may disqualify me as a pastor. <laughs> you can be the judge of that. And yet, trusting in Abraham's son actually gives you greater degrees of faith because you realize it's not you doing it anymore. It's him. He lives his life out in you and through you. He gives you security and hope so that you can move out into the world in the most insecure places to give hope to people that are insecure, that have no home, that have no future, that have no life. See, in Jesus, you can lay your life down for them because he laid down his life for you. 
Do you see it? Do you believe it? It's the only source I know of that's going to give you the hope to be the kind of person you wish you could dream to be. And the good news of the gospel says it's available to you right now, family. So just take it. Will you take it? Will you take it? Let's pray and ask him. Father, thank you that to be a believer in Jesus doesn't just, it doesn't mean following a set of rules. It doesn't mean coming to a building. It doesn't mean being born into a family that believes certain things. It means hearing directly from you. God, if, if we find ourselves this morning, there's a person who finds themselves here this morning who has never heard your voice. I pray, one, that they would be listening right now. And secondly, I pray that you would speak clearly to them. Call them to yourself. Call them to your son. Whisper in their heart, will you trust me? Will you follow me? Will you let me in? And I pray for all of us that may be reserving part of our hearts, part of our stories away from you. We're, we're saying, I'll only trust you if. I pray that you'd give us the ability to remove that obstacle, that barrier of blessing. Thank you that Jesus gave up everything that was secure for us so that we could be secure in you and we could tell others of the great security that comes only through him. Would you make us into a great people, into a people of blessing that would make your name great? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.